are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Notice in Psalm 44, will you? He said, listen, we have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thine hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thy right arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor unto them. If you'll notice, he said, now we've heard about the power of God. That's what he's saying. What he's saying, we remember how God delivered you Israelites out of there. We remember when you got up against that uh, Red Sea and the army was coming behind you. And we remember how God opened that Red Sea and you went over, you see. And uh, you remember also in the book of, of, of Joshua, if you remember, uh, when Moses went to heaven. And the Lord told him in that first chapter, As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. My friend, God doesn't change. Our world's in a mess. We know that and gets worse. But God's power and God's word never changes. Just remember that. And tonight, let's have just a word of prayer. Father, these things I'm going to say, I want to glorify you. And I pray you'd use them to meet our hearts and make us a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was thinking about the, the, the old, and I'm not that old, but, but God has been good to us, so good at gospel light for us. I, it's just amazing, amazing. You said you had any troubles? Lord, let's don't talk about them. Let's talk about the good things. But we've had some great men, and that's what you wanted me to call it. That's what you had on your mind. And I just want to mention some of them that you've heard. You, you probably, some of you may have heard Oliver Green in person. We had him in revival back in 1966. I never will forget it. He was in a three-day meeting. And, and the only way I can remember is 1966. He drove up in our yard Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And he drove up in our, in our driveway. And I, it was, had the beautiful 66 Riviera Buick. I always thought that was the prettiest car. And he was driving one. That's why I can remember. And I said, brother, he got out of the car. And, and I said, brother Green, that's a pretty car. Thank you, brother Robertson. That's the way he talked, you know. Thank you, brother Robertson. Thank you. He said, I won a Buick dealer to the Lord. And he gave it to me. I said, well, that's great. And then, of course, he, and then he said this. I'll just drive it till I win me a Cadillac dealer, like that lame. <laughs> that isn't what I wanted you to see. That night, we couldn't take care. We, we were in our third auditorium. This auditorium would seat with a, with a little wing, I think about 12 or 1300 packed. And it was packed and jammed, and we got our people to go to the basement and all, and Oliver got up to preach. And this is what he said, the first thing. He said, I, I can remember, he said, I'm on 125 radio stations daily. And he said, I get right much mail. He said, until I, you know, he's from Greenville, we know that. 
And uh, he said, uh, he, he said right before I came up here, he said, I answered mail this morning. And he said, I opened a letter from a station that I'm on in California. And he said, they said, now, Brother Green, you're a little too harsh on some things. I never asked him what it was, but I'm telling you what he said. said, you're a little too harsh on some things. And said, we don't want to have to take you off our station. We want you to think and pray about this and let us know. And you know what he said, Robert? He said, I answered that before I left today. He said, I told them that they could put that station in the ocean out there in California before I'd compromise with it. That's exactly what he said. He was a man that stood true to his convictions. And then he told me something else after the three-night meeting was in my office. And uh, he, he, he he's the first man I remember carrying Schofield Bibles around with him, selling them. And he had some Schofield Bibles. And we went in my office after church and and he autographed one handed to me. And then I'd never seen a Schofield Testament at that time. And he autographed one of them and for my wife and one for me. And I said, Brother Green, I said, I, I've got a good Bible. I said, you, you can't do that. And he said, how come I can't? They're mine. You know, he just tell you right like that. And, uh, and, and he said, God's good to me. Brother Bobby, you'll wear yours out and I want you to get it. We were sitting there listening, folks. It, it, maybe the service had been over 30, 40 minutes on a Wednesday night and he and somebody knocked on the door of my office. And I went and opened the door. And there was a man said, is Preacher Green done gone? And I said, no, here he is. And uh, he walked in. He said, Preacher Green said, I got about halfway home tonight and he said, I couldn't go any further. God wanted me to give this to you and hand him a wad of money. And I said, won't you see? He said, no, I'm, I'll leave you fellows alone and left. And Oliver Green said, you argue me about your Bibles. He said, that man give me more money. And then he told me this. He said, Brother Bobby, I've learned if we'll mind God, he'll take care of us. And he said this. i never forget. Listen. He said, you know, he went to Tabernacle in Greenville, South Carolina, with Dr. Sider. He said a while back, he said he had bad health. He said, Mrs. Green and I was at prayer meeting. And I told her, I said, now listen, as soon as Dr. Seidler says amen, let's get out of here. I don't feel like talking. And he said right before they left, Dr. Seidler told them some missionary was in desperate need and said, let's help him and pass the offering plate. And he said, I... Told my wife, I said, ask her, said, do you have a checkbook? He said, write a $50 check. And she whispered back and she said, Oliver, you've only got a little more than 50. He said, write it anyway. And she did. Now listen, this is what he told me. And he said, he said, I was ready to take off. And when he said, amen, some lady punched, punched behind me and I thought, oh my. I guess he said, why didn't know, you know, and said, I turned and there were some people sitting behind him and said, Preacher, said, I don't want to bother you, but God laid on our heart to give you this and said, they hand me a $50 bill. And he told me story after story. And he said, young man, I was a young man then. He said, you remember, if you'll mind God, mind God, he'll always take care of you. Oliver Green. But what really stuck with me is when he had convictions, he wouldn't he couldn't be bought.
You see what I'm saying? I think of, I think of Jack Hiles. There was a man in Winston-Salem, seven miles from us, who was saved under John R. Rice's ministry. I understand back in the 40s. And he got called to preach. He loved John Rice. And so they had a build, a building seated a thousand. I don't think his church ever run on about 250. And he'd have it. Some of you know he, Jack Hiles and John Rice preached together two, two nights. And he'd come every year and preach in that building. And listen, I, I had never been taught soul winning. I mean, I'd go out with my pastor and we'd visit and invite people to church. And I don't know, my pastor is a good man and he never had either. Neither one of us had ever been to college and if they're teaching in college and we didn't know. And, and we just try to get people to come to church because God saved the altar. We didn't save down. But this is what I started to say. I went over there one night. I just became pastor, became pastor in July 1956 at Gospel Light. And that meeting was going on seven miles away just a few weeks after that. And I, and I went over there and, and, and uh, I heard them preach that Monday night. They had a service on Tuesday morning. And uh, Jack Hiles says, Now bring your pencil and paper with you in the morning, 10 o'clock. I want to try to teach you how you can win a soul in the home or place of business or wherever. And I'm going to tell you, folks, I, I just stunned me. But I went over there. I was 24 when I became pastor there. And I went over there and, and took my pencil and pad. And, and Jack Hiles, he set a chair out and, and used that for a door to knock on. And he said, now have your pencil and paper on give some. And, and he was, he acted it out like he was out knocking on doors and he knocked on this fella's door. He, I took 35 points that day. He told us how to get up a conversation. You wouldn't believe it. I used to be very backward. How to give up a conversation, how to work into it about their soul, and then and then afterwards the Roman and he talked told us see it. He said, Don't never carry your Bible with you out visitation. Somebody said, Well, bless God, I'm not ashamed of my Bible. No, you're proud anyway, I didn't it. But he said this, he said, you know, God specs it use wisdom. He said, if you knock on a man's door and you got a big Bible under your arm, He's going to say, that man's going to try to cram some religion down my throat. So he said, have your testament. He said, you ladies, just have your testament in your purse. You men have a testament in your purse. Because he'll do the same work. And so I got those 35 points. I mean, I studied them, the Roman trail. I got my testament. And Romans 3, uh, 23, all sin. Uh, Romans, what, 310, there's none righteous, no, not one. And beside of that, like if I was in 310, I'd put a 323 so I'd know where to go next. And then I got over there, Romans 5:12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, death came of sin. And there in Romans 6, 20. Anyway, I had them because I wanted to make sure I know where to go. And I got a man to go with me. That's on Tuesday. Go with me on, on Thursday night, one of my men at that church. And we got us a prospect. And we went to see it. And I remember he said, be complimentary. That's one of my points. Never forget this. And, and, and I, and I know he knocked on his door. I was half scared to death. And this man come to the door. And uh, I said, I didn't tell him I was a preacher. I said, I'm from Gospel Light Baptist Church. This is my friend, Boot Flynn here. Could we come in? He said, yes, sir. Come on in. 
And we went in, and uh, he was a very backward man. See, I didn't know it. He's probably 40, 35 years old or something. And, uh, and he told me his name, and he said, that's my wife. Well, I remember Dr. House said, be complimentary. And I looked, I couldn't find a picture on the wall anywhere. I didn't see any kids. And I said, you have a nice place here. And he was a man didn't say much. He said, thank you. I said, this is really nice. <laughs> Robert, I was trying to get into what I was supposed to. And he kept saying, yeah, thank you. And uh, I said, maybe you're wondering what we're doing here. I said, uh, we're from, as I told you, from the Gospel Light Baptist Church. And I said, we're interested in people knowing you're going to heaven. And I said, we, we just wonder, do you know you're going to heaven? And he said, no. He said, I don't go to church. Try to do the best I can. You know, the Bible will do something for a man. That's what he answered. And I slipped my testimony out. And I said, I said, Jimmy. Now, always remember his first name. Don't call him Mr. because he's not used to it. His name was Jimmy. And I said, Jimmy, if I could show you from the Bible how you could know you'd go to heaven when you leave this world, would you let me? He said, yeah. And I slipped over close to him, and we went through the Roman trail and all that, you know. And uh, I said, now, how do you feel about this now? He said, according to that, I'm lost. And then I got ready to go to Romans 10, 9, and, you know. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you honestly, it scared me. I can remember, I said, finally said, three, you, you really would like to be saved? He said, yeah. I'm thinking now if I can get the right one next. And I went on and went through that. Now, he introduced his wife to me. Listen, his wife's sitting over there and come to find out they hadn't been married long, didn't have any children, but I didn't know. His wife's sitting over there. And when we got ready to pray, I said, Jimmy, would you be willing to just have prayer? Whosoever shall call and name will shout. And, and, and would, could we have prayer right here and believe that? And he said, yeah. And his wife, his wife, got up out of her seat. She almost ran across the floor. She fell down on her knees and she said, Mister, don't leave me out. Folks, <laughs> well, let me tell you, there's a lot of hurting people in this world who need somebody to get there. She said, don't leave me out. I want to be saved. I led my first soul to Christ that night. Television hadn't been out long. And I had a little 55 Chevrolet. You old, the old Methodists used to talk about the second blessing, you know. I got it. That night, we got in that car, and I told old Boot Flynn, I said, Boot, I like this. He said, I do too. I said, I've been told that watch television wouldn't listen, but it ain't so, is it? We just had a time going back to church. But I'd invite him to church, and I was supposed to talk to him about baptism, but I didn't. <laughs> and they came to church the next Sunday. They was there, Jimmy and Mildred. And after two or three Sundays, I said, wouldn't you like to join the church? He thought he'd already had. He didn't know. And I told him about baptism. We didn't have no word to baptize inside. We'd get a group up and go out in a pond somewhere and baptize. And I baptized him. It wasn't long. I could stop right here and think. It wasn't long until he come down the aisle a month or so with a late older woman on Sunday morning. He said, this is my stepmother, and she wants to be saved too. I led her to Christ. And then later on, her husband, his daddy, was a truck driver and led him to Christ. 
And they just worked in, in church. Malt Spangler done more. Our people don't all know each other. I'd go in the, I'd go in the hospital. And, and, and somebody say, preacher, I got a card here. Uh, and said, I, can you please tell me who this is? It's got the sweetest thoughts on it. I know. I said, Maud Spangler. And she told me, she said, preacher, I can't do a whole lot. But God's called me every time you call out that hospital is to give them all a card. And God used her and she's in heaven now. But wait a minute. Jimmy served on my deacon board. We have a rotating board. He's on there three or four times. He's in heaven now. And his wife, he's been in heaven about 15 years, died with cancer. Mildred later remarried a good old-fashioned, his wife was dead, and brought him to our church. And I'm still her pastor. She's kind of feeble and just comes on Sunday morning. And that's been 56 years. Fifty. I don't know how many years, 56, almost 57 years, maybe 57 over that ago. But I found out right then, that's the greatest thing in all the world. And let me tell you, folks, if you and I can get stirred up about soul winning, now you just think about it. That's the only thing that's going to be worth anything when we stand to judgment seat. Somebody said, I want to leave my kids something good. I had to come up hard. The best thing you can leave them is a testimony to win people to Jesus Christ. I could go on. I had the joy. Back then, we didn't have a lot of houses. And I had time. We had 153 in our church first Sunday. And, and, and I'd just go down one door. And, you know, a lot of people didn't work in, in those days. And we had a lot of farmers. And I'd go wherever I stopped. I'd hit the next. Uh, and I was way down there in a place called, about 10 miles, a church called Dry Holler. The reason it got that name is so much bootlegging. <laughs> That's right. And I knocked on the door one day, and I don't say this critical, but that old door, you could almost throw the cat through the wall, that door, that old house. And as an old man came to the door, named Herman Smith, and, and I told him, I said, doing some best, and got to talking to him about the Lord. He said, I can't read and write. I said, you don't have to to get saved. I led him to Christ. Later on, he come to our church, 10 miles away or so, with no church right in there anyway to go to. And later on, his boy came named Danny Smith. And Danny got saved. And then Danny got called to preach and went to Piedmont Bible College years ago. He just got through with one church, 25 years, his pastor there. But right after Danny got saved, he was working at a, at a factory there in Winston-Salem. And there was a young man named Frank Shoemate who was working there with him. A rough old boy. And every time they'd have a break, Danny would have his testament and he'd get to talking to Frank. He led Frank to the Lord there one day. Now think with me. I wasn't going into all this. I may not get very far. But think about this. He won Frank to the Lord. Frank later joined Gospel Light got called to preach, and in March, he'll be my assistant pastor for 27 years. Now, you just think about that. You think about it. There's Danny, been pastoring 25 years, about 15 miles from me. It all started because of that old-fashioned dad that couldn't read and write. Bless God, I'll tell you, you want to get rich. 
And I tell old Frank every once in a while, a Danny comes by and he'll say, Preacher, thank you for knocking on our door and tell me about Jesus. And, and, and I tell him, I say, listen, Frank, I said, you're my grandson. I said, or on down the line, I said, his, I want his daddy, and now I want him, and now you. And, and I don't say this boastfully, but you think about Paul. You remember what Paul said? He said, there shall be a crown of righteousness laid up for me at that day. Sometimes we say somebody died. Well, they're gone to their reward. No, the reward hadn't come out. And wait a minute. The apostle Paul is still drawing dividends. He's drawing them on down through the years. And every time that my assistant pastor, and he's a soul winner, and every time he gets saved, <laughs> I got a little dividend of it. Oh, if we could get our eyes off of things that's just temporal and think about eternal things. This man that's going to be buried tomorrow, I'll be honest with you, I cannot. His picture was in the paper yesterday. And his brother and his wife are faithful in our church. And his brother got me to win his sister, and she died. And his brother said, don't you know, you won my brother. Uh, that's going to be buried tomorrow, Steve Calloway. You won the Lord out there in the yard, and I can of the of the funeral home, and I can just remember faintly. But then I've been on the phone with his daughter from Charlotte, and she said, "Preacher Robertson, Dad, and you, and you pray." I don't know what his daughter's saved. I don't. He's got two girls. They're married with families, and a boy married. And I'll get to talk to all of them tomorrow. You see, we never know. But I say this, and I I, I wished it my church was as burdened over souls as it was years ago. I really do, my friend. Let me tell you, uh, you, you can, and we need Bible teaching. Teaching and preaching, the Bible said. Well, let me tell you, when we get away from this thing of our burden for lost souls, our church is going to die. It'll die. I mean, there's nothing to thrill your soul any more than to see an old sinner walk down the aisle and get saved. That's right. Nothing. Somebody's been praying for And here he comes. Man, that'll, that'll make a backslidden Presbyterian almost shout when you start thinking about it. Winning people to Christ. And listen, that's the thing that we need to do. I've told Jack Hiles before he died, I said, if, if you have a reward in heaven, if I ever have a reward in heaven, you'll have part of it because you're the man that taught me how to win people to Jesus Christ. And let me say, preachers, I think I think I, I haven't had one long time, but I think it'd be good for us to have a lesson once in a while. I think people's wondered. Now, your testimony is the best thing. If you're working with somebody, uh, you know, just, just uh, you know, well, no, boy, he's... he's He's uh, in heaven now. Don't misunderstand me. He couldn't talk plain, couldn't read much, but he got a burden for souls. And he kept telling me, he kept telling me about a man he was trying to win to the Lord. Now, he said, give him some scripture. And he knows he's lost. And I'd give him Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth, Jesus, the Lord, and believe. And anyway, I was leaving one day. I had to, I had to hurry. And here he come pull up the driveway. And and, uh, and I said, Marshall. And he said, Preacher, I ain't going to take much time. But he fessed him. He fessed He couldn't even say confess. He said, he fessed him. He fessed him. I thought, fessed who what? I said, what you mean? He said, you know that man I've been talking to I work with? And sat down there. We went to the restroom. And it kept on. And I told him, you said, if he had fessed with his mouth, Jesus, and believe in his heart, and you saved him. And said, he fessed him yesterday. I said, well, praise God. <laughs> yeah. God will use you if you're too smart. He don't need you. 
But he, he uses people who's humble and right and, and winning soul. Winning soul. I think of Jack Hiles that way. I think of Oliver Green. I think of, let me give you one or two. I think of John R. Rice. John R. Rice. He preached for us a few times. Boy, if you ever heard a man preach on prayer, he preached on prayer, didn't he? Dr. Rice, uh, he, 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 he wasn't dynamic, you know, but he wore his glasses like that all the time. I don't know where he, maybe read here and looked there. I don't know. But he'd look at you. I remember him saying, making a statement one day. He said, now you get old self nailed to that cross. Nailed to that cross. Bible said, die daily. Nailed that cross. And this is what he said. And he said, that booger will wiggle down tomorrow. You'll have to put him up there again. <laughs> That's right to it. That's right. But, uh, but I, a preacher friend of mine was pastoring in Pennsylvania. In Dr. Rice's last years, he couldn't hear good. And he told me, he, he, was pray, he just prayed all the time. And, and this is what my preacher friend told me. He said, Brother Bobby, we're sitting on the platform. And he said, the, song, the choir was singing. And said, uh, he got to saying something. And I thought he's talking to me. And I said, what would you say? And said, the dear old gentleman said, huh? I ain't said nothing. My preacher friend said it done a second time. He said, I ain't said nothing. And he said, I thought, boy, something wrong with me if that man's not talking. The choir was still singing, and I heard him mumbling again. And he said, I eased over real close, and he was praying. He said, Brother Bobby, I think he stayed in an attitude of prayer that he didn't realize he was praying. Pray without ceasing. That's another sermon. But I think of John Rice. I think of a man, a soul winner, yes, but a really a praying man. I could talk to you for an hour about Lester Rollo. I had the joy. I'm not going into the flying. Well, you know, they talked about I had joy flying with him three or four times. You know, Lester Roloff didn't eat junk food. He, uh, I think, had problems growing up. And, and anyway, he, he eat right. He didn't eat junk food. But Lester Roloff, what a man. He used to come to our place. And the reason we got him is because... I can tell you, we're about at seven miles out of Winston. He said, Brother Bobby, he said, uh, you've got the largest auditorium, he said, around Winston-Salem. And he said, I can't go where I'm asked all the time, and could I use your place as a stopover in Winston? I said, well, sure. So that's why we, we'd get him uses on a Thursday night. And uh, our building now, our other building, you, you've been to our church, our other, well, I call it the teen building now. Like I said, I think it received with the wing at all about 1,300. We couldn't hold him when Lester Roloff was there. He would come. And he'd bring the Honeybee Quartet with him. You know, I'll tell you this right quick. I want this, this thing too about him. He run in last, he was so busy. He was so busy. And one night we sat out. I, I just opened up the service, let our song leader lead the song, and I'd, I'd cut up with him. Hold I said, now the old prodigals come home. Come on up here, Brother Roloff. He just take the service. Now he said, the quartet, sing. That's girls. They start singing. And me and him are sitting on the platform. And, and Robert, he's flipping through his Bible. And they got through singing two or three songs. He said, sing another one. Kept <laughs> I thought, he's, he's got a problem. And he done it twice. He said, sing another one. Well, let's sing another one. And then he got up and he see he, he could giggle like nobody ever heard. And he said, well... He said, I don't have a sermon. That place was packed. He said, but God's got one. And if he don't let me in on it, 
we'll have a song. Come on, girl, sing again. And sat down. And he got up that night in the 78th Psalm, and I never heard him preach any better in my life. He, he just stayed so busy. I think he just, oh, here I am. I got to preach. If I've ever seen a man walk by faith, he did. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'll, I'll move on. Some of these days, I'll tell you about them, some of them flying times we had together, and how he used to scare me. But uh, anyway, what, what a man of God. What a man of God. One day he came to me, and, and uh, I mean, he came, and I said, How you doing, brother? Got let down. Uh, no, he said this. He said, Brother Bobby, I'm so thrilled. He said, Two businessmen told me in three months from now, they're going to give me a half million dollars piece for the working corpus. Man, he was excited. You know, he had those girls down there and the boys. He began to tell me what all he's going to do and everything. Now, I don't remember. Maybe six months passed. Sometime later, and he came back. I said, how you doing, preacher? This is what he said. I got let down the worst a while back. Never got it let down in all my ministry. Well, now, some of you remember how that the state of Texas tried to make him take a, a, a license to run his home, and I don't blame him. He didn't do it. If you remember, they put him in jail a few times for it. So I was thinking in my mind, that's what he's talking about. When he said, I got let down the worst I ever have. And uh, I said, I said, what happened, Brother Allah? He said, you remember, he said, you remember, I told you about them two businessmen was going to give the ministries a half a million dollars. I said, yeah. And he said, they came to me, both of them. Something like, like Oliver Green. This is what he said. They said, Brother Roloff, we've talked it over. And there's some things you're going to have to soften up on. Or we just can't give it to you. This is what he said quick. And he said, I had to tell him I wasn't for sale. That's what he said. Now, Robert, when you've been around men like that, it's hard to sell out. It is. I'm not for sale. That's what he said to him. It broke his heart. He had so many ideas of what he's going to do, but I'm not for sale. And I appreciate men like that. We had had, uh, Tom Malone, so many revivals. What a doctor, John Rice used to say is the greatest preacher living at that time, and I guess he was. And he come regularly at Gospel Light, some of our conferences, pastored Pontiac, Michigan, and a great soul winner, a great man of God, and loved the Lord and, and win souls. And, 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 and he was there with us quite a, quite a few times. We had Hyman Apple in one time. He was a Jew, you remember? Hyman preached a week for us. And then there's television had just come out. He, he had got saved. He's a Jew. And he was wanting me to try to get him a debate all the time he was there to try to get him a debate with some Jew on TV. <laughs> and I couldn't do that. Like. But I don't think I ever seen a man that carried any greater burden than he did. Hyman Appleman. And you remember when he got saved, his parents disowned him. I remember him telling this story. He said, I was preaching somewhere. My daddy didn't come to hear me preach, but he come where I was at. And I was excited. And he said, Hyman, I've come after you. He said, listen, you, and your, you know that you and your mother, didn't ra- we didn't raise you up in this religion. And you are breaking your mother's heart. And you're going to cause her death if you don't give up this way and get back home. 
And you know what he said? He said this. He said, Brother Bobby, I got to thinking about my sweet mother. Like any mother would love her children. In the midnight hours, maybe at times I had flu or whatever, fevers, and she would rock me and cared for me. And said, it seemed like I could see mother's old rocking chair. But then he said this. I'll never forget this. He said, I lifted my eyes beyond mother's rocking chair. And I seen an old rugged cross. And I could hear one echo and said, this is how much I loved you. And he said, I looked at my daddy and said, Dad, you don't understand. But the love of Christ does something for me. I don't want to put mom in the grave, but I can't turn my back on him. And I don't know where his parents ever got saved or not. But he, he, he loved the Lord. He, he was a great man. How Manapleman was. Let me tell you another two and I'll quit. Bob Jones Sr., the old gentleman who founded this college, he preached in the sword conference over there and the pastor of that church called me one day and said, would you like to have Bob Jones Sr. on a Sunday morning? I didn't know the man. I'd heard him preach. And anyway, I did. I went and drove into Winston, the old Robert E. D. Hotel, and picked him up and brought him to church that morning. I didn't know I ought to let him out the front door. We didn't. It was just our old teen church, and and uh, no no paving around that place that time. And I just pulled in. He said, "Well, look like you got a good crowd. How many do you have here?" And uh, I I said, "Usually it was about five or six hundred." And I said, "Usually about five or six hundred. We didn't have any bus ministry back then." And I pulled on around. I get a parking. I pulled way down in yonder, and he got out. Me and him had big old brown overcoat. We come on around up in the vestibule, and he pulled his coat off and hung it up. He said, well, let's see, Lord. He said, I believe God wants me to preach on following Jesus. He made his mind up right there. He got up and preached an hour that morning on following Jesus. Great man of God. Oh, you talking about a man would skin you with sin. I used to hear him preach at places and he'd hold his mouth. The old primitive Baptist up our way, they'd get to preach like that. And old Dr. Bob would say, you bunch of liberals, you bunch of moderates, you're going to hell. And uh, things have changed now. But uh, he was that kind of man. But let me tell you this right quick. I, I'm not proud of it. But when I got saved and I got called to preach, I fought it for two years because I was afraid. And, and, and nobody in my little church had been to college. You know what they used to say, them old men? They said there's two, don't, don't, don't miss up, but I'm going to tell you what they said. They said there's two kinds of preachers. That's the God called and the educated. <laughs> so I didn't see it on either. Anyway, I surrendered and I hadn't been. And I thought, now that's a college man. And he's going to ask me where I've been to college. And then he's going to get me because I haven't been. And I remember going back that day in that little, I had a little Vauxhall. Now, that was an English make car. He was a big old man. We both filled that little thing up in front. And we're going back to Winston. Got almost back to Winston. And he said, Brother Austin, where'd you go to school at? Oh, boy. I said, Dr. Jones, I'm sorry I haven't been. I said, I wished I had it, but I just haven't been the one asked me. You know, a real Christian don't jump down your throat. 
You know what that sweet man said? He said, young man, I was 29, 30 years old. He said, young man, he said, you, you'll make it all right. He said, he said you, him and John Rice was good buddies. And he said, God raised up John R. Rice to write that soul of the Lord, got sermons in it. And you read your Bible every day and pray. And you can read things like that. And said, you'll just be fine. You stick in there. Just like that. And they will forget it. You see, I don't know where he is educated man or not, but I know he had that university, you see. But I remember him scaring me that away that day. But he was a sweet he was a sweet man when he got when you got around him. And and then Harold Seitler, I guess, meant as much to me as any man ever lived. He preached twenty eight times, twenty eight meetings for me at Gospel Aid. I could tell you so many things about him, some of you remember. Doctor Seitler we went through a split. We had grown up to five and six hundred in about five years. And then I had a heart attack. I had a heart attack at 29. It took me out of the pulpit that morning. I stayed in the hospital 21 days. They didn't think I'd make it for a little while. And while I was out, church growth hurts too. And that church had a permanent deacon board. They vote on the preacher every Sunday, every, every year, but they didn't the deacons. And, and I could see people asking what, anyway, what I want to tell you, while I was out sick, there comes some trouble, and this crowd got against that crowd. And then, I wasn't able, really, doctor said, you'll have to go off. And we, my wife and I went up, and somebody else, some of our members had a little cabin and stayed a couple of months, and the kids, small, come back, and then, and then that group moved out. We had a split. And I had a nervous breakdown. Dr. Seitler was in the area preaching. He preached so much around in that area. And he had preached for me. He's preaching somewhere around and I went and talked to him. I remember I weighed 212 pounds. I got down 147 or 6 or 3 or something like that and couldn't eat, make me sick. And I went to Dr. Seitler. He was around there. And I said, Dr. Seitler, I guess I'm going to have to leave. And he said, oh, no. A deep voice of his. And I said, Doc, I, I can't eat. I can't stand food. My nerves are all to pieces. Church is all to pieces. When you go down 201 Sunday, break your heart, you know. And I said that. And he said, no, you forget that. God's grace is sufficient. And I said, but Dr. Seitler, I said, I said, We'll never have nobody saved. That's all right. God's grace is sufficient. You get that thing out of your mind. Boy, he could talk to you like your daddy was after you. He said, you get that out of your mind about leaving. God's going to be with you. You stand still. You stand still, son. And God used him to help me Amen. through that time. I guess two years, we'd very seldom have anybody say, about all I could hear is how the other crowds are getting along five miles down the road. God brought me through that. And it was God, but God used Harold Seitler to help me. And then when we built the big auditorium now we're in, that's before we went in that. My boy said, Daddy, Harold Seitler meant so much to you. If you ever come to Gospel Light, we've got a basement and it's called uh, the Harold B. Seitler Auditorium down there. How he helped me so many times, so many times. And God help me. And I want to say this. You're not preachers. But you may be going through a tough time. But I found out. I don't know much. But I found out one of the hardest things is waiting on God. 
If we wait on him, he'll fight our battles. I've tried to fight him, and I make a mess. You remember over there, go back there to Exodus 14, 14. Now you think about this. Here's that Pharaoh's army. If you go out in there, you're going to drown. And God says, stand still and listen. And God says, the Lord shall fight for you. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord shall fight for you. Hold ye your peace. He fought, did he? He opened it up. And how many times will he do? I've seen him. I've seen God over and over solve problems that I'd lay and wonder what it's going to do and couldn't sleep. And just wait and you'll see God work that thing out. He, it's his battle. You know, he tells us that many times in the Bible. And God used Harold Seitler. And many times, many times, I could tell you over and over. He called me to preach down there one day and scared me to death. I preached two-week meetings at Tabernacle. And he sat on a platform. And I had to go home for a funeral. I had more funerals. For the last few years, I've been averaging 38 to 40 funerals a year. Not all my people, but connected with our bus ministry and on and on. You know, but anyway, I had to go home for a funeral and come back. Somebody said, how you like preaching with Dr. Siler? I said, how would you like to preach with Moses sitting on the platform? <laughs> but he was such a blessing, wasn't he? He was such a blessing. He loved them little kiddies. We'd go over there at the, nur- at the children's home. Every night for supper, we're going to eat with the kiddies. And I tell you something else he'd do. He'd make you clean out your plate. If you went out to eat with him, you better clean it out. If you don't, you're going to stick it in your pocket. You're not going to waste it. That's right. And he said, Brother Bobby, I teach him kiddies not to be. He called them kiddies not to be wasteful. And he told me before. I've watched one of go out to eat with him. Watch. One night, Miss Seitler was up there and took him to the fish camp. And uh, she left four or five hush puppies. And he said, uh, I think he called her mama, mother, mama, whatever. He said, uh, mother said, get your hush puppies. And she said, daddy, I, I just can't eat them. He said, well, get you a napkin, wrap them up, and we can't waste them. They was going back to Greenville that night. He said, you may want them before you go home. And said, don't waste them. And... Uh, he come up first time he'd come to our place, I keep the messiest desk you've ever seen. And he, he walked in, he said, Brother Bobby, you been out of town? I said, No, sir. Well, I thought you'd got behind on your work, look like. <laughs> and uh, every time I was there, I don't know how he do it, but all that there, uh, gospel hour, I'm a God, whatever it is, radio ministry and that school and all that, you never find nothing on his desk. You ever, I don't know where he was ever here, you never find nothing. And every time he'd come to our place, I'd put all my junk, and you'd never find nothing on my desk. I loved Harold Seitler. He said to me one day, he said, Brother Bobby, not many folks stay friends all their life. This means you be friends. And I said, all right, Doc. And that's just a few that I could, I could tell you about, and I think I've talked about. I wrote their names, some of them down here, and, and, uh, and I, I, I think I could. Tell you, I used to, when I was a young preacher, I'd like to go to these conferences, Beach of Vic. I used to hear Beach of Vic, Detroit Baptist Temple. And, uh, one day I'll tell you how, how you used to get it. I was, I was preaching in Detroit, not his place. And the preacher took me over there one day and Beach of Vic was having a meeting with his workers. And I remember he had 4,200 and something in Sunday school on the board that Sunday. And you know how he got his workers? 
He'd ask a man, he said, would you teach a Sunday school class? Get out of here. There's a room. Build you a class. And if that man got up to 150 adults in that class and stayed 150 for so long, he'd take him off his job and put him. He said he'll prove he'll work. That's pretty good. Really, that's pretty good. But, uh, folks, this is sad. Detroit Baptist Temple's not there no more. Jack Hudson, who pastored 100 miles from me, Northside Baptist in Charlotte, is gone. And that's what tears you up. When a man my age, and I just want to encourage you people here, don't let the world system go in. You can't. You don't. You don't have to fight it, but you just stand true to God. Old time religion is the only thing that counts anyway. People get born again, getting saved, and I've just shared some of these with you tonight that uh, that that have been a blessing, and, and and I never thought about it back in their days when it was at gospel light, but I look at them now and I think about things that is said and done and I want to stand for the old past and I believe you do. Let's have just a word of prayer. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons visit our website PreachTheBible.org If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.